I want you to turn with me to John chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. You hear the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. And how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So for 10 weeks, I talked about God's creational intent. God created us with a purpose. We're not simply the accident of some evolutionary process. God has been at work and has formed us in his image that we might live according to the pattern that he prescribes for us. And we've looked at some of the ways in which we get things wrong. Things get twisted and they get skewed and misdirected. And we find ourselves living with disordered love. We are to love the right thing 
in the right way to the right degree, but it gets all scrambled. So we've spent a lot of time on that. And we've looked at specific instances in our culture where people are confused, where they don't understand the pattern that God has laid out. And they don't understand that if you live within God's plan, there is blessing. To step outside it, well, that's to miss out on God's best. So we spent 10 weeks on that. Now, Nicodemus was a man educated in the Scriptures. He was a scholar of the Scriptures. He was a good man, a righteous man, recognized by all as exemplary. That's why he served on the Sanhedrin. And so this good and righteous man who intended in all his life to follow the pattern set out by God. He understood that we're created in God's image. He understood that God had a purpose for us and we are to live within those boundaries. Nicodemus would tell you, it's all set out in Torah. You must obey Torah. If you obey Torah, you will be blessed if you violate Torah. It'll be so much worse for you. That's what Nicodemus believed. That's what Nicodemus knew. So if Nicodemus were alive today and over the past 10 weeks had sat right there in the front row, I suspect he would have said from time to time something like, amen. He would have agreed. He would have agreed. Not that everything I said was exactly right, but I think Scripture is clear enough that in general and in principle, I spoke what the Bible teaches, applying it to situations that, that we're facing in our life. I'd like to think so. I certainly intended that. No, don't, don't do that. Don't do it. You're going to embarrass me. Thank you, but don't do it. So Nicodemus would have said Amen. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I know that you come from God. We know that. He's speaking not just for himself but for others. He said, we know you're from God. You have to be from God. You couldn't do what you're doing unless you're from God. And evidently Jesus sees what's, what's on his mind because his answer is so abrupt so out of keeping with what Nicodemus said that it's like the Lord's just brushing aside every other issue and going straight to the main issue. He says, truly I tell you, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus was a godly man who believed the scriptures, who would have agreed with what I was saying the past 10 weeks, at least in general. But he didn't know salvation. He didn't know what it was to be saved. Here's the thing. We can, we can get confused sometimes about what Christianity is all about. It's very easy to do, especially in a situation like ours. We live in a country that the majority of people don't understand what the gospel's all about. And the values by which they live are antithetical to the values that we confess. 
And so you get in a situation like that and you can get polemical, you know? To some degree, I didn't want to speak out of the spirit of polemics, but to some degree, that's what I've done for 10 weeks. I've been talking about not this, not this, but rather this. And you can start to think that if you're just on the right side of those issues, or maybe you give it a a title, a label, you start to feel like if you're conservative or traditional in your values, that puts you on the right side of God and all these other people, not so much. But the truth is we can be on the right side of a host of issues We can quote scripture. We can be good and godly people by the measure of other human beings and yet not know anything of the kingdom of God. That's what this passage tells us. It's rather shocking, really. Nicodemus was shocked. I mean, I'm sure Nicodemus had a healthy dose of humility, but but he really didn't think he was an outsider He comes to Jesus thinking he's on the inside. And Jesus says, you know what? Unless you're born again, obviously Nicodemus has not been born again. He doesn't even know what Jesus is talking about. Unless you've been born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. You can't, in other words, experience it. You can't enter it. You can't know it. You have to be born again. And Jesus spells out what he means by that. You have to be born of the Spirit, There has to be a new birth. Now, there's a lot to say about that. And I'm not going to be finished with this passage this Sunday. I'll come back to it next week again. Then I'm going to focus especially on what Jesus says about his death on the cross. He talks about being lifted up. And I want to talk about that and how how it's Christ's atoning work on the cross that makes it possible for us to be saved. But right now, I just want to focus on the fact that here Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, it's not enough to know a whole lot of truth and even be a good person. You must have an experience, a personal experience with God. The Spirit is God present with us. To be born of the Spirit is to have your life laid open before God, and then to be filled with God, touched by God, changed by God. That's what he's saying right here, to be born of the Spirit. Jesus says to him that whatever is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's a principle. Essentially, he's saying this, that the quality of your life cannot rise above the source of your life. By flesh, he simply means your mortal self, just your flesh and blood person. And we know from the past 10 weeks, and certainly before, if you've been studying your Bible, you know that as flesh and blood human beings in a world like ours, we are subject to all manner of weakness and temptation. We have faults and flaws. We're creating the image of God, so there's kind of an ambiguity. There's good, but there's also sin in our lives, okay? Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh, that is, that which is merely human, can't rise above that. 
Now, what you can do is you can go to therapy. You might struggle with anxiety or depression or something like that. And, and without, without being born of the Spirit, you can go to therapy, and you might be helped in some ways to deal with the anxiety or the depression. There's no question about that. There are ways that you can establish habits in your life, and if you persist in those habits, it actually helps to form a kind of character, and you might be a person of upstanding character. You might be, for all intents and purposes, a modern-day Nicodemus. So it's not as if that which is born of flesh is always evil and sinful in some obvious way. In the Gospel of John, flesh isn't used as Paul sometimes uses. So Paul, when he says flesh or sarks in the Greek, often he means our sinful nature. In John, it just means our mortality, our weakness, okay? So what I'm getting at here is you can improve your life if you're simply working in the flesh, but you can't see, enter, experience the kingdom of God. You don't, by virtue of seeking to improve yourself, gain eternal life. You don't know what it is to have God filling your life. You don't know what it is to know with a certainty that you will live with God forever. You don't know that. No matter how much you work on yourself, you don't know that. No matter how much people admire you, you don't know that, that you will live with God forever. You can't know that because God's, God's not in your life. You haven't been born of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is just flesh. Just flesh, that's all. Can't be anything else. The quality of your life can't rise above the source. But if you're born of the Spirit, things change then. When you are born of the Spirit, something happens deep within. It doesn't immediately fix everything in your life because as we talked about over the last weeks, we live in these bodies and we have these brains that have been wired through all our past practices and habits and, and beliefs and all the rest. And so we find ourselves struggling sometimes. But there's a difference because when the Spirit of God enters you, you now have it in your heart to serve God. You can sin, but you can't sin with your whole heart ever again. Not if you've been born again. Not if you've been born from above. You can sin, but not in the same way because you have faith in God. You've come alive to God. There is a presence and a power in your life that makes all the difference. There is a potential in you. It won't be realized unless you choose as a follower of Jesus to seek him, to study the scriptures and obey them to serve him in obeying all his commands. You won't experience all that God has for you, but you will, you will surely experience 
God's presence in your life once you've been born again. And then it's up to you with God's help as he works in you to cooperate with the grace of God that you might grow. I'm saying all that just because it it certainly is true that some people get saved, as we put it, and they seem to grow like weeds. (laughs) And then others, it's not always as evident. There's a choice that comes in there. But the thing that is true for everyone who's been truly born again is that they have this godly power within them that they didn't have before. So they have the ability to live as they did not live before. They can overcome sin that they couldn't overcome before. They can change in ways that people wouldn't have expected. And there's something of a mystery about that. It really is. There's a mystery about that. Jesus says that. He says the spirit goes to work. It's like the wind that's blowing. Where does it come from? Where's it going? We don't know. You can't see the wind, and yet you can feel the presence of the wind, and you can see its effect. And so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit, Jesus said. And that's what you can have. Every one of us can have that. What's sad is that I don't know how many. (laughs) I was about to say every church in America, but how would I know this? I, I, I can't say it. But I think in our church, certainly, people can come and maybe, maybe as wonderful as Nicodemus and yet have not been born again. Wouldn't it be sad if you're on the right side of all sorts of issues, but you don't know God? Wouldn't it be sad to discipline your natural, merely human flesh so that you are a very religious, virtuous version of a human being and yet not know God? Wouldn't it be sad If you changed everything about your life, but inside everything remains the same. That's the tragedy of too many people who attend church but don't know Jesus Christ. We must be born again. And the Spirit moves and the Spirit works in extraordinary ways to save us. And the Spirit is working in your life. It may be in some of you, you, even at this moment, you have a sense that the Spirit's at work. That happened to me a few years ago. I was at Spring Hill College, and I was with a, a, uh, something called Christus Institute, and we brought in a scholar from Notre Dame to speak. His name was Christian Smith. He's a sociologist. And he has studied youth and their religious beliefs and practices um, at a level that has never been done before, he and his team. And he was putting graphs on the the, uh, projector showing us how children reared in church tend to fare once they leave home. And of course, he's talking as a sociologist. He's not talking as a theologian, and he's not denying the role of the Holy Spirit or anything like that, but he's simply showing how some churches are losing all their young people the minute they graduate. 
And generally, it's because they don't actually teach their young people what Christianity is. They never get that far. It's just, you know, be happy. God, God loves you and wants you to be happy. They never really get into the faith. So he's got graph after graph, and he's got it broken down. I mean, you've got Catholics, you've got mainline Protestant, you've got evangelical. I mean, he's got it all broken down, and the graphs show what happens, you know, when it's a family strongly committed uh, to their faith and families that are not strongly committed. And probably like everyone else, I was looking at all of that, and I was trying to find myself. I was trying to find myself because I grew up in a family that... I don't, I don't know how to characterize it. In a sense, it was nominally Christian, but so nominally that I've always, well, for most of my life, I'd just say it was a secular family. I mean, really, the values were secular values, and we didn't go to church. I mean, maybe, maybe half a dozen times my whole life, but I'm not sure that many times, actually. Very, very rarely. And there was never any prayer, never talked about God. It was a secular home. And so I'm looking up there, and I don't see any graph for someone who grew up in a primarily secular home who later on, after they leave the house, come to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, all these other ones, he's showing, you know, when, you know, how, how people's faith developed after they leave home, but, but not that particular one. Somebody raised their hand and asked about it. And he said, while it's true that you have some children who grow up in homes like that, who, who end up converting to Christianity, it is not statistically significant. And what he meant by that was, there weren't enough of them for me to put a graph up here for it. Now, that's a sad thing, right? And one thing it may tell us how important it is, you're going to love this, to... Be open to how God might use you in children's ministry to children and to youth. And that's really very, very important. But let me tell you how I reacted to it. I got a knot in my throat. My eyes started watering. I felt like there was a spotlight on me. Not that I thought people were looking at me, but I felt suddenly aware of myself sitting there, and I felt myself somehow separated from everyone else. It hit me that God, by his grace, had reached out to me and had saved me when I was so lost and statistically, there wasn't much of a chance for me. But the Holy Spirit, like wind blowing, saved me. I can't tell you what that meant to me. Now, I want to be careful with this because I, you know what I hate? I hate when preachers tell stories about themselves or their own conversion experience, and it turns it into kind of like, well, you know, this was, this was when the man of faith and power was saved, you know? This is the apostolic way. That's, that, that is not where I'm going with this. What I'm trying, for, for each of us, there's a unique way. There were, 
there were reasons why that was so powerful for me. It fit into my story in very personal ways, and it, it meant so much because I realized it wasn't me pursuing God. It was God pursuing me. Now, your story might be completely different. As in, say you were raised in a Christian home and you came to faith, you don't even know when you were so young, okay? That may be your story. And that too is the Holy Spirit working in great variety to bless and to lead you to life. You see? I mean, this is all, this is all whatever God is seeking to do, but it's the Spirit who's at work. So what I'm wondering is if there aren't some here this morning, the Spirit has been at work in your life, and you can look back, and you you didn't see it that way for a long, long time, but now you see it. The Spirit maybe has drawn you here to this place right now, and I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to be born again to be born of the Spirit, to be changed on the inside, the inside, not the outside. God has been seeking you. He seeks all of us. We don't save ourselves. The Lord's at work. And if you'll open your eyes, you can see it. If you'll open your eyes, you can see it even now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you, by your Holy Spirit, please move across this room and anyone who doesn't know you as Savior. Lord, they may be a church member. They may be a member of good standing at First Woodway, but Lord, they don't know you as Savior. Would they come to receive you now and be born again? Oh, God, work within them right now. And if you want to receive Christ, just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm far from you, but I know you're near to me. Forgive me for my sin and let me be born again. And Lord, may you by your spirit work that in each person reaching out to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.